This morning we're going to be looking at a subject in the book of Proverbs that has been uh, sort of indirectly present in a few of the topics that we've studied so far. Uh, But I thought it'd be good for us to have an opportunity to meditate on this uh, subject separately, as I think it's something that we really don't think enough about. I'm not sure exactly how to title this topic, uh, but the general idea that I'm aiming at is for each of us to be more and more aware of the presence of God in our daily lives. Uh, Here are just a few Proverbs that stress this point particularly. First, in Proverbs 15, verse 3, we read that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. There is nothing that takes place in our world that God doesn't see. His eyes are in every place, he is present in every situation, and he is evaluating what is taking place. Every act of evil and every act of good is observed by the Lord. His omnipresence, as we'll see, is a comfort to the just and a terror to the evil. Again, we read in Proverbs 21, uh, Proverbs 5.21, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all his paths. Here we read that God sees all of your ways. He is watching you as you walk through every day of your life. And so the goal of this sermon is to help each of us to become more and more aware of that reality, that in our day-to-day living, that we should be aware of the presence of God, to live our lives each moment knowing that the Lord sees us. He sees the decisions that we're making. He hears the words that we're speaking. Even the thoughts, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that we have in our hearts, he is aware of. For many of us, I think we go through our lives not really conscious of this reality. We think of God as somewhat distant from us, not concerned with our daily living. And yet this proverb reminds us that the eyes of the Lord ponder all of our paths. Notice in this proverb that it is individualized. A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. This isn't just like God is simply aware of the actions of humanity in general, Uh, where he sort of watches from a distance all of the major events in the world. No, this proverb is saying something far more personal. It's saying that God sees you. He knows what's going on in your life individually. Proverbs 15.11 goes even deeper. It says, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of man. Sheol is a term for the place of the dead. Sometimes it refers to simply the grave, sometimes uh, what we might call Hades. Abaddon is the pit where some of the fallen angels have been cast, including those from back in Genesis 6. And while I'm tempted to go into all of that, it would be a major distraction uh, from the point of the sermon, so we won't go there. But the point is that God sees everything, even the depths of the universe, and his omnipresent consciousness is also aware of the thoughts of each person's heart. Nothing is hidden from the gaze of the Lord. God knows even the deepest secrets of each human heart. As Proverbs 20, verse 27 says, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his innermost parts. And so the point of all these Proverbs is simple and straightforward. Our God is not distant. He sees how we live each day. He is watching each of us individually as we walk through life. In some ways, that's a terrifying thought. In other ways, it's immensely comforting. Now, you might wonder as you look at these verses, why are these in Proverbs? After all, Proverbs isn't really a theological book. 
It's a book of wisdom. It provides practical guidance for our everyday living and how to live in, in this world in such a way that leads to success and flourishing. So why are there so many of these Proverbs that speak of God's eyes seeing everything that takes place in our lives? Well, it seems to me that this reality is something wise people should regularly consider, that keeping this thought, this awareness, awareness of the presence of God in the forefront of your mind leads to wiser living. And as we'll work our way through the rest of these Proverbs this morning, we'll see how meditating on the omnipresence of the Lord should have that impact on the way that we live each day. And that's kind of the point of this sermon, that we all need to regularly remind ourselves of God's watching eye on our lives. First, Proverbs reminds us that God knows when we lie. Our lies may deceive other people, but God always knows the truth. Proverbs 24, verse 12. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Several interesting phrases there describing God as the one who keeps watch over your soul. God is said to weigh our hearts. And the point of this proverb is that it is foolish for us to ever think that we truly and ultimately get away with deception. In the context of this proverb, the hypothetical lie is pleading ignorance, claiming we didn't know something that was going on that we absolutely did. And while we may deceive others with such lies, the Lord knows the truth of our hearts. Even if no one else on earth can see through your deception, God does. And God's presence to bless will not be on those who make a habit of lying. As Proverbs 12:22 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. As we consider this topic of being aware of the presence of God in our daily lives, remember that verse that we began with that says God sees all of the evil and all of the good. So not only should we remember when we do things like lie, that God sees us, but we also should realize God sees our acts of righteousness as well. Proverbs 25, verse 21 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. We are instructed here to treat our enemies with kindness specifically because the Lord is watching. He will reward you. Don't seek human recognition for the good that you do. Be content with the knowledge that God sees you. Jesus taught us this, of course, in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus goes on in that chapter to apply this principle to other acts of righteousness as well, but the point is, God should be the only one we're concerned with when we practice righteousness. We shouldn't be seeking to impress others. We shouldn't be lo looking for uh, recognition or praise from others. Do good, content with the knowledge 
that God sees you and he will reward you. Next, Proverbs teaches us that God sees when you are mistreated. This, again, is one of the ways that God's close attentiveness and observation of our lives is actually a comfort to us. In Proverbs 20, verse 22, we read, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. We're told here to reject the impulse that we have to retaliate when we are mistreated. Remind yourself that God sees the evil that has been done to you and learn to trust in him. One of the best examples of this in all of Scripture is Hagar in the book of Genesis. Uh, Abram had been promised by the Lord that he would have a son and a great nation uh, would come from his descendants. But by the time Abram and his wife Sarai were quite old, they had still no children. And so they got impatient. They decided to try to fulfill the promise of God in their own way. And so in Genesis 16 verse 1, we read that Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children but she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave, him, uh, sorry, gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. He went into Hagar, she conceived... When she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Hagar, throughout this story, is being horribly mistreated and oppressed. She starts out as a slave, which is bad enough. Then she is essentially raped by Abraham in order to provide a son. When she becomes pregnant, Sarai begins mistreating her even more. And so, Hagar runs away. She's desperate to be free from the abusive environment that she's been trapped in. Verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Then notice verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For, she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. Bir Lahai Roy means in Hebrew, the well of the living one who sees me. Hagar found comfort in her suffering that the Lord was watching her. He was looking out for her even through the trials of her life. Uh, fast forward a few years in chapter 21, Hagar again experiences affliction and suffering. Sarah gives birth in her old age to Isaac. He was the promised son that Abraham and Sarah were supposed to wait for. Now that he's been born, Sarah decides she doesn't want Hagar 
or her son Ishmael around anymore. By the way, just as a side note, as you read through the book of Genesis, you find out Sarah is a real piece of work. Uh, Abraham has his issues too, uh, but it's a reminder of the fact that God uses really flawed people. Sarah says to Abraham after the birth of Isaac, this is chapter 21, verse 10, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. She departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And she sat opposite him. She lifted up her voice and wept. Here again, Hagar is once again experiencing suffering. She and her son are in the desert out of water. And so she puts the child under a bush, basically not wanting to watch him die. Verse 17, God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And the point of these stories is to show us that even though Abraham and Sarah had rejected Hagar, had afflicted her, oppressed her, and finally kicked her to the curb, God saw her affliction. God saw the mistreatment of Hagar, and he went out of his way to take care of her and her son Ishmael. And in the end, they were blessed and looked after by the Lord. We won't take the time to go there, but another such case uh, in the book of Genesis is the famous story of Joseph. Joseph is mistreated by his brothers. He's sold as a slave. He's falsely accused of a crime he did not commit and thrown in jail. And through all of that injustice, through all of that suffering, it says that God was with him. Repeatedly throughout those chapters, we're told that God was with Joseph. And in the end, the Lord delivered Joseph and blessed him greatly. And so in all of our affliction, in all of our suffering, when we're being mistreated by others, remember that God sees you. An awareness of the presence of God should comfort us in times of suffering and mistreatment. Back to Proverbs 29, verse 26. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. Proverbs wants us to get in the habit of turning to God when we experience injustice, when we are mistreated, pour your heart out to him, instead of trying to get even with the person who wronged you. This is part of living with a constant awareness of God's presence. Next, Proverbs teaches us that God sees our motives. We're not going to go too far on this because we've spoken about it in the past, but Proverbs 16 verse 2 says, all of the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Again, chapter 17, verse 3. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. And then in chapter 21, verse 27, we read, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? 
God sees not only what we do, but God sees why we do it. He sees the intentions of our heart behind every action, behind every word that we speak. God sees our motives. Next, Proverbs teaches us that God sees our heart's rebellion or submission to his word. Proverbs 28, verse 9. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. The law is kind of shorthand in the Old Testament for the word of God, the Torah. And here we're being told that if we turn away our ear from hearing God's word, even our prayers to him will be an abomination. How do you respond when you read the Bible? How do you respond when you hear something from Scripture? Is your heart receptive and obedient or resistant? Rejecting the law of God leads to God hating our prayers, which kind of makes sense. Scripture is God communicating with us. Prayer is us communicating back with God. If we don't care about what he has said, why would he care about what we have to say? There's a certain logic in that, I think. If we turn away our ear from his word, God says he will turn away his ear from our prayers. Next, God sees your pursuit of righteousness. As much as we may think of the observation of God in our lives as something to be afraid of, the fact that God sees every sinful thought and deed in our life, certainly that's a fearful idea, but it's also true that God is aware of every genuine effort that you make to please him. Proverbs 15, verse 9, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. God sees your pursuit of righteousness, no matter how frail that may sometimes be. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, pronounced a blessing on those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. God sees your efforts to live a holy life. He sees the time you spend in Scripture and in prayer. He sees every time you resist temptation to sin. He knows your weakness. He's sympathetic towards your human nature. After all, Jesus himself lived as a human in this world. He knows the struggle. He's acquainted with our suffering. He experienced the same temptations that we do. And he sees the efforts that you and I make to follow his ways. God sees your pursuit of righteousness. Now, I think that a sermon like this on the awareness of the presence of God could lead to some unhealthy thinking. Uh, Maybe maybe as we looked at these verses and considered how God sees everything that goes on in our world, that he watches even, even each one of our lives closely, you might start sort of thinking of like the eye of Sauron or something, if you haven't, if you're not familiar with Lord of the Rings, I'm sorry. Uh, But we, we shouldn't live our lives terrified of God, doing what we're supposed to do simply because of fear that God is watching us and will punish us if we don't. Jesus taught us to consider God as a loving father, not a cruel master. We are told to love the Lord with all of our heart. We are to serve him in sincerity. So how do we do this? How do we keep in our minds a constant awareness of God's presence, the fact that he sees everything that we do, and yet also cultivate a positive view of God, where we come to see the nearness of God in our lives as a good thing. And I think more than anything else, the answer to that question is prayer. Prayer reminds us of God's presence in our lives. Prayer also invites us to be open and completely honest with God, 
to share our deepest thoughts and struggles with him. As you read through the Psalms, you see people pouring out their hearts to God and expressing all sorts of emotions, even things like anger and sorrow, all the range of human emotions through prayer. Prayer helps us to feel the presence of God. It reminds us of his nearness to us. Yet it does so in such a way that also cultivates love in our hearts for the Lord, rather than terrified, dutiful obedience. Many of us feel distant from God and lack this awareness of his presence in our lives because we hardly ever communicate with him. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. The regular practice, the discipline of confessing our sins to God reminds us of his presence in our lives. It helps us to cultivate the habit of remembering that God sees even our darkest moments. And so we confess our sins and seek forgiveness. Another category of prayer that reminds us of God's presence is prayers of thanksgiving. Obviously, we've got the uh, Thanksgiving holiday coming up this week, but really for a Christian, Thanksgiving ought to be a regular pattern and habit of our lives. Part of the way that we cultivate more of an awareness and recognition of the presence of God throughout our day is to get into the habit of just expressing thanks to God. As we experience little blessings and enjoyments throughout each day, get in the habit of expressing thanks to the Lord who has provided us with every good gift. A great example of someone who had this sort of constant awareness of God's presence and frequent prayer was Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And one of the things you'll notice about Nehemiah's prayers is that these are not often long, extended, flowery prayers. Sometimes it's as simple as, God, please help. (laughs) It's just a little phrase that Nehemiah prays to the Lord. But what stands out as you read the book of Nehemiah is how frequently these prayers appear. In the short book of Nehemiah, we find him praying 14 times. It starts in chapter 1 of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in exile in Persia. He gets news that Jerusalem is in trouble. Uh, The wall of the city is broken down, and the few who are there are not doing well. And so verse verse 4 of chapter 1 says, As soon as I heard these words, this negative report of Jerusalem, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And in the prayer that follows there in chapter 1, Nehemiah basically offers a prayer really on behalf of the people of Israel, asking God to forgive their sin and to restore them to their land and reestablish them as a nation. Now, Nehemiah at this time was a cupbearer to the king of Persia, and so he goes to bring wine to the king, who notices that Nehemiah seems depressed. And so the king asks Nehemiah, uh, what's going on? And Nehemiah tells the king about the condition of Jerusalem and all the people who are there. Verse 4 of chapter 2, the king said to me, what are you requesting? And then notice, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. So you notice right there at the end of verse 4 that Nehemiah offers a quick prayer. We don't even know what he said. But in between being asked the question and responding with his answer, He just takes a second to pray. The king ends up granting Nehemiah's request. He sends him back to Jerusalem with some supplies to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the gates and the walls of the city. 
And as the construction begins, there are some critics of their work. Uh, Sanballat and Tobiah and some others are very angry at Nehemiah and these people who are rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. And so verse 8 of chapter 4 says that they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So now the opposition to the work of rebuilding the city is beginning. And look at what Nehemiah and his group does in response. Verse 9, we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In chapter 6, Sanballat attempts to intimidate Nehemiah and get him to stop his work uh, on the walls. He basically threatens to tell the king that Nehemiah is trying to rebel against Persia, that he's going to, you know, basically with his little army there in Jerusalem, they're going to fight against the king and try to overthrow them. And so he tells Nehemiah, I'm going to send this false report, get you in a lot of trouble if you continue this project. Verse 9, they all wanted to frighten us, thinking... Their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Again, you see just a very short, simple prayer from Nehemiah. Before he responds to Sanballat's letter of intimidation, Nehemiah takes a moment to ask God for strength. And so you get the point. We won't take the time to look at all of the rest of the prayers in Nehemiah, but what you find in this book is a man who was constantly aware of God's presence in his life. And it seemed to me that he cultivated that mindset primarily through regular prayer. Whatever was going on in Nehemiah's life, he prayed. When opportunities arose, he asked God for direction. When trouble came, he asked God for protection and strength. When blessing came, he thanked the Lord. Another way, other than prayer, to cultivate this kind of constant awareness of God's presence in your life is to think of God's opinion more than the opinion of others. To be concerned with pleasing him more than anyone else. And once again, we arrive at this principle in Proverbs of the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 19, verse 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Whenever you find yourself making a decision and thinking, what will others think? Stop and remind yourself that ultimately the most important person who is observing your life is the Lord. Proverbs 28, verse 14, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Always fearing the Lord means that I live in constant pursuit of God's approval, thinking about what God would want me to do in every situation. As Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Acknowledging God in all of your ways will help you to constantly be aware of his presence in your life. Next, Proverbs 21, verse 2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Obviously, this is speaking in Old Testament uh, context where the Israelites would come to the temple and offer sacrifices to the Lord. It was their way of worshiping God. And here we read that doing righteousness, doing justice throughout your day-to-day living is more important than bringing a sacrifice in worship to the Lord. So let me just modernize this verse to the New Testament context for us. Walking with integrity in your day-to-day activity is more important than coming to church on Sundays. 
In other words, don't limit your thoughts of God to the one or two days a week when you come to church. You ought to be concerned with pleasing the Lord every moment of every day. Now let's consider some of the results of living with this constant awareness of the gaze of the Lord on us. Uh, The first and perhaps most obvious result of living with this awareness of the eyes of the Lord on us is that it will help us uh, to resist temptation to sin. At the moment of temptation, remembering that God sees you should cause you to resist if you have a proper fear of the Lord. Proverbs 5 verse 20 says, Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Notice the reason we're given here to avoid sexual unfaithfulness in the form of adultery is because all of our ways are before the eyes of the Lord. He sees us, and that reality should cause us to live lives of purity before his eyes. Next, living within awareness of God's presence leads to personal peace and flourishing. Back to Proverbs 3. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Get in the habit of acknowledging the Lord in all things, keeping at the forefront of your mind God's presence in your life. Let his presence direct you, and the result of that is healing and refreshment. Next, living this way leads to freedom from a guilty conscience. Uh, Proverbs 28, verse 1, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Living each day seeking the approval of God, knowing that he sees you, will bring a clean conscience to you. Next, living with constant awareness of God's presence often leads to peace with others. Proverbs 16, verse 6, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So we are told here to seek first to please the Lord, and often as a result, your interpersonal relationships with others will improve as well. Living with a constant awareness of God's presence ultimately leads to God's blessing and favor in your life. Proverbs 11, verse 20, Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. Chapter 3, verse 33, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. If you and I walk through each day of our lives seeking to live in a manner that pleases the Lord, you will experience a life of his blessing. Proverbs fifteen twenty nine, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Scripture says many times that God listens to the prayers of the righteous, but sin blocks our prayers. As you cultivate an awareness of God's presence and seek to live in a manner pleasing to him, his ears will be open to your prayers. Finally, Living this way leads to abundant life. Proverbs 22, verse 4 says, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. And the fear of the Lord is really what we've been talking about today. Living with an awareness that God is watching, that he is present in every moment of your life, and seeking to please him 
to live in a way that brings him glory. The reward for such a God-focused life is riches and honor in life. In other words, abundance. Uh, This is the way that we experience the abundant life, true life, by fearing the Lord and by walking before him in sincerity.